It's crazy. And we get what we get. Late projects over budget, people getting injured and worse dying on our on the projects with good intentions. And, and it's ironic when someone dies in a building a hospital. It's like, come on. And that unfortunately happens way too often. And we can make that go away. Just design productions, the production system to give a reliable result, a result that others are enjoying. Whether it's in healthcare, they're enjoying it. Whether it's in software, they're enjoying it. Throughout project production of, of goods and services, and thankfully food, all conforms to the sound production theory. And some of the systems thinking, Hal, that uh, people may not be aware of happening inside of construction projects is there's this uh, reinforcing feedback loop on individuals and project teams. You could have two teams in the same city working for the same company, building different hospitals. And there is there are zero incentives for those different project teams to come together, tour each other's sites, learn from each other. And I'm talking about uh, mm -hmm. the same company. Yes. Company. There is yes. there is zero incentive for those people to share and collaborate. And in fact, as the companies are organized, most typically, they're actually incentivized to not share and to keep things to themselves. Welcome to the EBFC show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem system. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, Scheduling Manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refund My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refund My Site for free for 60 days. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now to the show. Incentivizing people to not share, keep quiet, not help each other. That it can be absolutely changed. You can influence that at your organization. There is nothing preventing you, especially if you're at the same company, from visiting other sites and learning what's going on, especially if there's a, a gap in phase. Like if one project's a little bit ahead of you, you can learn immediately from current conditions there to help you predict the future on your job. I mean, you're talking about two projects are the same. It's go see things that are completely different. This practice of benchmarking in industry in general, 
you know, if you're if you're a specialty contractor doing, let's say, transmission lines, yeah, you want to benchmark yourself against the people who are doing transmission lines. Go benchmark yourself against somebody who's who's doing vertical construction. Like learn from the the. I mean, calling it benchmark might be different, but might be the wrong thing to say. But it's like, what have we never even considered because we don't think we have those problems? And that we go someplace else and we see it. I mean, the famous story about, about uh, Ono visiting a Piggly Wiggly and, and seeing the way they stock the shelves led to the development of the Kanban method. And it's like, replace only what you used. And it's, it's like, and then he visited a, a slaughterhouse for pigs and the, the way they deconstructed the pig was the inspiration for flow. I mean, this is, we would, you and I would not be talking about lean, which in the background of all of this, we talk about lean design and construction, hmm. right? But we wouldn't be even talking about it because that would have never happened if Ono didn't get outside of the world that he was in. And he went to those two places. And by the way, he came to the US at the invitation of Ford, right? So that magnanimous invitation that Ford made to Toyota because the Japanese people really did need to get back on their feet and the US couldn't supply all the trucks that were needed so that they could do it. So the Japanese needed to be able to build the trucks so that they could get back on their feet. And Ford reached out and, and did that. And this is, we, we, it's not a grand act of, of, of kindness, just a small act of kindness. Hey, Felipe, come see my, my project. And maybe you could help me too. When it's like, see what I'm doing is like, maybe I could, you know, there's something you could see that would make this go better. But we aren't doing that. that. Like, who would you bill your time to? Do you get to bill your time to your project when you come visit me? Would my project manager let you bill your time to my project when you come visit me? I mean, in some in some environments, that is not that would not happen. Right. They're, they're so rule, I'll say rule bound about that kind of thing. So let me just name the four production laws. I don't think we want to go into a lot of detail here, but the you can read about all four of these production laws in I think it's chapter three in the book. This is Lane by um, Modig and Alstrom. The one is the law of variation. And what we need to know is that variation compounds with dependence. And so the more variation you have, the more problems that you have. The second is the law of bottlenecks or the theory of constraints. And that any change you make in the system outside of the bottleneck in the system doesn't improve any of your, doesn't improve your throughput. You need to know where that bottleneck is and you need to be acting on that bottleneck if you want to improve throughput. The third one is Little's Law. And Little's Law basically is a relationship between the batch size and the duration uh, of whatever operations, sequence of operations you're doing. The bigger the batch size, the longer it takes. The smaller the batch size, the sooner it gets done. You look at batches, the batch size that the, you know, the industry kind of caught attention to this when in the remodel of the uh, Pentagon, Hensel Phelps was the contractor. Actually, general, probably, I don't know if that's true. General contractor probably was their, their role. Um, 
but they had a five-day tact, a five-day pace of working through a wedge uh, and a floor of the building. And everybody had to do things in five days. That project was one of the most reliable projects that Hensel Phelps saw and, and the industry, and they were very, very happy to share what was going on and that the world fell, found out about. But the difference between a five-day tack time and a, and a 15-minute tack time, so on cruise ships, when they're remodeling staterooms, the tack time's something like 15 minutes. A trade or an operation hands off to the next operation every 15 minutes until you start in the morning on a stateroom and maybe by maybe two and a half hours later, 10 operations later, that's turned over. That's completely back in service. It's the refreshed in terms of carpet or ceilings or bedding, beds or whatever they change over. Probably not 10 operations, maybe, maybe more than that. But if it's 20, that's only five hours. So every, you know, it takes five hours to turn over the first one. And every 15 minutes, another one is ready. And imagine if the Pentagon had found a way to turn over slices in a much shorter period, like every one day. That project, the whole, the renovation of the Pentagon, Pentagon would have been gone much faster. Yeah, we got to visit a project, Hal, when Jason and Spencer took me to Germany. And uh, on the western part of Germany, there's a residential general contractor called Weisenberger Bau that has uh, moved from a five-day tact to a four-day tact. And then recently, with a little bit of modularization and prefab, gotten all the way to a one-day tact with their yeah. partners. It's yes. incredible how fast they're turning over spaces. I mean, the speed at which those things complete and the quality is unbelievable. So I've been doing one-day tact from the beginning, and it's because I couldn't figure out how to do a half-day tact. I got introduced to this by Doyle Wilson Builders out of Austin, Texas. They're no longer around, but this was back in 1997 or 8, somewhere around there. They were building in Austin. They were building homes, uh, over 2,000 square foot homes, four-bedroom homes, uh, configurable to the to the buyer's uh, desires in something like 53 work days. So something like 106 distinct tact periods of a half a day. And I got, we got to practice this at the Neenan company. That's where I was. And, uh, and we, did tact on a middle school addition to a parochial school. And we built a whole addition in with a with labs and I believe an indoor like a basketball court, et cetera, something like that. We got it out of school like a week early and they came at the end of the summer and they came back two weeks late. Something like that. And there was a middle school and it was a one day tag. Uh, this is this is that's that, 20, 23 or 24 years ago at three months a whole new school yeah yeah I, it, that's incredible well there was we did a lot of on-site fabrication not off-site prefabrication on-site fabrication of all kinds of things so it's like before panelization but nanan was a they did a lot of tilt up 
with architectural tilt up. And uh, so they had a pretty good idea about how to do things uh, off, like not on the building, but then placed on the building. Right. Uh, but in the, in the work that I've done on this, on troubled projects, every troubled project is a kind of a two-step process, stabilize a, the process of making work ready. So that if, when you start something, you can finish it. And second, work to a one day tact. And projects, I mean, the very first project in Boston was done with Suffolk Construction for, um, for the Massachusetts College of Art and Design, Mass Art. It was a building that was two months behind because of ice storms during February. So this was in July. It was two months behind because of ice storms in February. And there was a hard turnover date for occupancy the following May. Um, and we finished two months early. And without, without with very small incidental addition of people, like overall less labor on the total job. But we did a two-day tack. I couldn't get them to do a one-day tag. They, they thought I was crazy enough, but they were so far behind, they at least tried what I was doing. And uh, that got Suffolk on a path that of doing uh, tact on all their high rises. This is, they don't even talk about it as tact. This is just what we're doing. Yeah, I was working on a team. You know, speaking of the labor, I was working with a team in the Midwest. And when they adopted uh, a tax schedule, they were... It's a, like an 11 story uh, cast in place concrete structure right? Uh, with like laboratories and, you know, heavy duty stuff, like heavy, heavy concrete, big, big, big floor spaces, big floor to ceiling spaces. And uh, they were having some issues with, uh, with concrete. This was like during the, the heart of the pandemic. So we had like the supply chain issues those they were facing when the superintendent adopted tact and started realizing as he was onboarding new trades into the plan that what uh, companies had assumed would be the labor that they needed to do this building was too much. Right. And uh, I got to visit the site after they had done two floors, they were on the second floor where they had already implemented the tack. They implemented the basement first, then the first floor and so on. And on the first floor, they were halfway through the first floor before they were going to move up to the next level with all the MEP uh, and framing crews and the sheet metal foreman said, okay, I believe you now it's been long enough. I have too many people. I'm going to send some people and I'm just going to keep, you know, these many people instead. And everybody was like, yep. Yep. All the other trades were like, yep. Yep. Like it happened to all of them at different points. And, and he was the last holdout mm. and you can get uh, much more reliability. So like, imagine, you're on a construction project and you can keep the same people the entire time. You don't have this up and down in trade trades, people up and then laying people off and then bringing them back or sending them away. Or you can keep a steady crew the whole time when you use tact. I can't look off good things about tact. Yeah. Tact construction is what we need to adopt. And it's the only approach we currently have that conforms to all four production laws. Let me speak about the fourth production law. Kangman's called Kangman's formula, or it's generally the way people talk about it. It's a relationship between your capital, your capacity utilization, and 
the presence of variation. So a simple way, and, and so what, what it means is that as, as utilization goes up and variation goes up, you get a curve that looks like this, mm -hmm. and that curve is called the delay curve. Like how much delay will you incur? Well, no utilization, like empty highways at 2 a.m., you're getting almost no variation from other drivers. You've got wide open spaces. You're going to have no delay. But as the as you have more cars, you have more variation. As you have more utilization, these compound. And it's two, three hours to go in Boston, two to three hours to go 20 miles. Right. Uh, traffic. You get traffic jams, people. And we have the same thing on job sites. The fundamental the, the fundamental reason our projects are late is we drive up our utilization of our resources and we don't address the variation that we're incurring. So we have high variation. We have full utilization for promised work, for work that's no kidding, that needs to get done. And then we have a delay and that delay just keeps compounding. And so you get the curve that goes like that. Right. And the knee jerk reaction from people that are running work, the stereotypical or what people are trained, not even stereotypical. This is just what is tradition is that when something on the critical path falls behind, everyone wants to add more bodies to it and adding more bodies to it, more people to it. It's going to ignite Kingman's formula and you're going to see more delay. And I've never seen an example in 20 plus years where some critical activity was late more people are added for two weeks, one week, three weeks, a month. It doesn't matter. It never recovers. I've never seen a recovery. And what I have seen when recoveries happen is that people work on flow and throughput. Right. And we need to talk yes. about flow. You promised me well, we'll talk about flow. So that's the next topic. So let's put the period here at the end of these, the, the design the system from, for according to the, the laws. The next thing is use flow as your improvement measure. So it's not like it's not the point of the system. The point of the system is to deliver what's promised. But how do we do better and better at delivering what's promised? Tact construction, a tact construction approach is a flow approach, but you're not going to get it right. And there's going to be enough variation in the nature of the work that you have to adjust along the way or you break flow. So we use flow as an improvement measure to tell us by, like when we, we, thought we, we thought we had the work was ready for the people, the people and the resources were ready for the work. So the tooling and the materials, right? right. As well as the people. And, um, and we had all the permissions we needed from whatever jurisdiction, jurisdiction, jurisdiction having authority or whatever was needed. And yet it stopped. Why did it stop? It's that moment that we, that flow stops that we need to capture. It's like, not just fix it, not just say, okay, Hey, we need to find some place for these four people to, to work right now. And you send them away. No, no, no. Don't just do something. Stand there. You know, it's the opposite of the expression. Don't just stand there, do something. No, when flow, a break and flow happens, don't just do something, stand there and capture it. Why did it not flow? It's only in that moment that we can take the 
kind of understand what might like that's that's like that's the outcome of the something was not understood that it, that it stopped why did it get that way a good five why might take you back to figure out why it might not but capture take a picture make a note in your daily report like so that we're very clear then address the situation and get people find some place for work if that's what's needed um rectify the situation and get them back to work there if that's if that's available but you want to investigate the breakages in flow and constantly work on that uh, we do not have i do not know of one company that is paying attention to flow and i'd love to hear from the thousands of listeners that yeah we're one of them that are you doing exactly what you're saying hal um but at a company level to my knowledge that there isn't one that has fixed on that so far mortensen i've heard has adopted tech and is adopting tech construction company-wide and they're going to have to deal with this or they're going to be failing i know they were well trained um from p2sl from iris tomaline and some of her colleagues and they got their training quite a while ago. I was just talking to, to Iris uh, two weeks ago about this. And, um, but they've committed to it. They're all in now. And uh, so they're going to work this out. They're also gonna work out how to manage buffers in their environment, a buffer, a capacity buffer, because you can't work to full utilization. Right. And so you need to swing capacity of labor. You need to be able to plan, yes, like, okay, if they're not needed here, they're over here and then we can swing them in without disrupting the flow of work for other people we need additional work and process inventory for people to go to if they if they're on a track tacked wagon and for whatever reason they're getting into let's say it's apartments and there's three studios in a row they each have one one bathroom as opposed to the usual one and a half well you don't need all the plumbers if it's gone down to just that small amount of work. So swing them off of that work onto workable backlog. And then the third one is time buffers. And everybody's used to time buffers. We call it float. We design it in on projects, but that doesn't help the client to put all that extra time in. So it's managing a number one, identifying where your buffers are needed and then managing those buffers so that you don't break flow. And all that needs to get figured out. That's right. the least, that piece of tech construction is the least understood. That's the part of our training with Jason Schroeder that um, with the work done by Marco Beninner and Janusz uh -huh. Delui, they've done some incredible work around understanding what they call tech control and subtle tech control. And all those things that Hal just mentioned, there are strategies for setting those buffers and using some parameters to understand that those are set appropriately so that when flow is interrupted, it doesn't disrupt the throughput or the overall right. time. There's no impact uh, to the client. And, and you, there are, I mean, people, there are definitely strategies out there. So if you want to learn more, we'll put a link in the show notes uh, for Jason Schroeder's page where he has all the papers uh, from Janosch and Marco and Iris as well, that right. you can read about more of these things, or you can just take the training with Jason and learn how to implement this yourself. I highly recommend. I've taken it myself. It's very scrum friendly and I, I it's it's a good time. 
So first thing that we have to do, change the design of the production system. Second thing we have to do is improve on the design by using the fl flow as, a, as your improvement metric. Third thing we have to do is get all the people with their hands on the tools and material involved in improving their work and the system. And in the course of doing both of those things, the carpenter that's improving his or her work and as a consequence, the system develops critical thinking skills, creative thinking skills, and learns how to make change that sticks. Like what could be better than to have the army, not just the second lieutenants and above, but have the army improving on what they're doing and how they're doing it and learning as a result of it. And that, by the way, the Japanese call Kaizen, improving people through improving the work and, uh, and the product. And this is what we see typical in the special forces and military. I've been to several agile conferences and heard presentations from people in different militaries, not just in the United States, but also abroad. And this whole idea of bringing agile, uh, and it's been very widely adopted in special forces, uh, like here in the United States, um, the, Na the Navy, the Marines, two branches that I know of that have adopted this, uh, to some degree, also the Air Force. But like, Hal, you're completely right. Like, think of how different it is to have everybody on the team let's go back into construction forget the military for a second but think of your project team which includes the all those different trades and the people leading the work the, who are responsible um, like those general contractors or some of the other people involved in production controls or what they call project controls or you know cost and schedule and having people involved that are actually at the front doing the work, uh, giving them the opportunity to be involved. I would say it's not so much developing their capacities. It's as much as just allowing it to occur because in the, in the current system, it's not encouraged or really allowed and right. phrases to prove to you that it's not allowed. If you've ever been on a job and you've heard this phrase, keep your head down and just do your job or just do your job or see zero process for getting feedback on how the work is going, or there's never any pause to reflect if, if a week's worth of work occurred. And in the course of all the meetings that that team has, there is no solicitation of feedback or looking to see the progress and making adjustments. There are no feedback loops and you're just marching off a cliff. And so those are all, that's all evidence people that you have opportunity to do some of the things that Hal is talking about and make these small changes. And these changes are, they're tiny, they're teeny tiny, and they have massive impact. Like we're talking about tact. It's very common on a tax schedule in Europe. And I, from the people I mentioned, the papers written, I've heard of over, I think we're now over 200 different case studies, back to back to back jobs using tact where schedules have been improved as much as 60%, 70% in some cases. So the vast typical is twice as fast. If you just think about that, whatever job you're on now, it can finish two times faster with stable crew sizes and buffers. <laughs> it's like, no, and buffers, right? Yeah. Right. And buffers. 
Yeah, and Felipe is not exaggerating at all here. I, I get routinely 30% faster projects without aggressive tact, like yeah. one day tact, like two day tact. Two day tact will be 30% faster uh, than a typical schedule. And, um, and I've done some schedules. I mean, just to show that this works even in support areas on just design and coordination, where we're looking at clashes as we bring elements in and complete the design on either design build or traditional design bid build, or we're coordinating the final details that were not designed using light tact. I've seen multiple times on mul in multiple geographies in the South of the United States, in the West of the United States, in the East of the United States, on different projects of different project types, all saving more than 50% of the time so it's twice as fast coordination and we're actually giving the detailers and the people running the CAD more time to do the work, not less, right? Give them more time to do the work. And because of how we sequence the work intact, it sounds like magic people until you go, but Hal knows, cause he's done it too. Uh, any detailed schedule, if you're out there and you're struggling and you want information, contact myself or Hal, we can talk to you about how to implement this. So you can cut that design schedule or that coordination schedule in half and you're still giving the detailers more time. It's incredible. And it's very stable. Your quality is going to go up. Your clashes are going to go from thousands to a handful. I think there's a good moment to say that we've misunderstood lean like an industry uh, as a cost cutting approach. Yes. It's that's, a worth people. Twice. That, that's worth saying twice, Al. <laughs> We've misunderstood yeah. lean industry-wide. People just industry -wide. Do it with just cutting cost. Right. Incorrect. Yeah. It is a people development approach. That's yeah. what it is. So it's, it's a human resource strategy that masquerades as an operation strategy. And until we get it right, that it's a human resource development strategy, that we're changing the relationship that people have with their work and with each other. This is central, that we change the relationship they have with the work, that they're improving the work for the benefit of themselves and others. And in the course of doing that, they get smarter, they get more competent, they get creative, they, they learn how to get shit done. I mean, this is, this is what the Japanese have been doing for a long, long time. And evidence of that, we see people, Americans and Japanese alike, that work an entire career at companies like Toyota, and there are others, but I'm just going to name my favorite. Yeah. I just so happen to drive a Toyota car myself. <laughs> but when those people leave the company after their career, voluntarily, because again, the company has less right. than 1% attrition. I mean, as virtually nobody quits. When you have your attrition rate is less than 1%, that's nobody quitting. Okay. So just think about that as you look around and average construction attrition rates are over 25% typically across the industry for companies large and small. That means one out of four people are moving in and out uh, either voluntarily or involuntarily every single year. So at Toyota, less than 1%. And then you've got those individuals when they retire, they don't retire. They come out and they start writing books. They start consulting. They start working in other industries to helping. Their level of creativity is so high 
that they just can't sit still. They're on fire with their ability to improve things. And they're out there across industries helping so many people. Yeah, yeah, and you're making a really interesting point. They've learned so much that they can go into an industry that they've never seen before. And they immediately can see how to help people there, not to do things for them, help people there take better care of themselves. And that, that switch kind of like the, the Six Sigma thing about parachuting in some you know, master black belt to solve the problems that you've got on a production line, it's all bullshit. And it's incongruent with lean. No, we want to come in and the first thing we want to do is stabilize the environment and then help people take better care of themselves and each other. And as soon as they catch on to that, they're taking better care of the client, then they're taking care of better care of the company. And it's in that order that, that you need to do it. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the client and take care of the company. And it's at essence of what this is all about. And when I say that, I'm sure there's listeners are saying, yeah, but we're not all one company. Right. So let's get to this next, this next thing. And it's called trust. As I said at the close of our, our, the first part of this, yeah, Fernando said the basic, the reason why we're stuck with the system that we have is we operate from a position of distrust. And that's codified in our contracts. It's in the basic ways that we do things. Owners have, you know, um, uh, this, the schedules are baseline so that the owner can, uh, can make claims against the contractor and vice versa. Like we're counting on everybody screwing up and it's, and then they need to be blamed for it as opposed to we need to work together so that we can take care of the people and the client. The, tr the distrust is going to keep us from making the change. And Fernando, at the very close to the end of uh, his keynote with the International Group for Lean Construction in, in 2021, he said, it's that we don't have affection for each other that maintains the distrust. We need to have affection for each other. And until we purposefully work on that, we're stuck with it. Now, having said that, IPD, Integrated Project Delivery Projects, there is a lot of work that is done on, on having improving the relatedness, as I said in the five big ideas, that we've got to change the relatedness of one to the other. And we're talking the plumbing, the, the electrician and the mechanic. It's like at every level in our projects, uh, not just among management with the owner and the design teams, et cetera. No, no, no. Every level, unless, until we increase the relatedness, and now that's the way I said it, whatever, 18 years ago, uh, kind of clumsily, but I picked that way on purpose so people would have to say, what the heck is he talking about? Uh, I love that Fernando said, no, 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 we don't have affection for each other. This is, until we do that, we aren't going to deal with the distrust issue. And he said that to civil engineers with PhDs. And they're like, ah, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny. But this is, I, I, I can't disagree with him. 
I, he went further than I did 18 years ago. I've, and I'm, I was like, yeah, but along the way, I learned about the outward mindset, you know, treat people as people, not as, as objects who could help you get what you need or being in the way of what you're pursuing or just irrelevant. No, treat people as people who are like you. They have concerns and take care of them while you take care of yourself. I'll say for, for everybody listening, uh, leadership and self-deception is how I got introduced to this idea of the outward mindset. Uh, it's by the Arbinger Institute, and they there's a couple other books. The they have a book that's tell, titled "The Outward Mindset." I've read I've read those books and and others that they've written. I still would say start with leadership and self deception. It really helped see for me to see where. I have the inward mindset and how often I have an inward mindset. Not like because I, I want I choose to be inward and some people are just inward. It's like if I don't look out for myself, nobody else will. And I have proof that each time I let my guard down, I get screwed. All right. So I definitely want to look out for myself because nobody else will. As opposed to just be generous, just be loving, have affection for each other take care of each other and take care of yourself, which means ask for help. If you can't do it, if whatever you need to do, you can't do yourself. And you and I are in a community of, of lean practitioners where this goes on constantly. And the few people in the community of lean practitioners and lean leaders that have an inward mindset, it's like we don't, it doesn't stop us from continuing to gauge with them. Right. right. We'll help them anyway. Well, we're helping them anyway. Yeah. It's like they're stuck, whatever they're stuck, it doesn't matter. We can help them and we, and we can move on. But this approach of, 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 of really seeing each other as humans, respecting their humanity with the, with the faults that we have, with the errors that we make, usually neither our faults nor our errors are with intent. Yeah, there's criminals in the world. Yeah, it's a small percent. Uh, you look at our police forces and you wonder, like, wait, must be a huge percent, but it's, no, it's a small percent. So we can be, you know, we can be prudent at the same time we take care of each other and take care of ourselves. Um, yeah, Al, I've actually been criticized by people in the industry for being too generous and, and helping people and, and acting in a way where I'm never asking for, where can I build this time to? Right. You know, and that type. And I've, I've asked those people that have given me the criticism, like right there. And then I said, what's the alternative? If you see somebody in need and you just walk on by and don't help them, what is, what does that do to you? That has a consequence on you as well. And I learned early on, uh, luckily people helped me when I needed help, even though I wasn't at the time able to vocalize it. And I received some help it made a massive difference in the quality of my life and the quality of my work. And from that moment forward, and that was over a decade ago, I just erred on the side of being generous. Like you said, be generous when you can and just help people. And I always tell people on my shows, like if I, if you ask me a question and I can't answer it, I probably know at least somebody else that can, 
and I'll get you connected to the person that can because you don't need to struggle by yourself. We are a collective. We're going to be uh, with the work that Hal and I are talking about. We're going to be more affectionate with each other and we're going to help more people. We have the capacity to help more with our experiences. We want to help more. All you have to do is ask, reach out, and we will. We must do this work. The planet. So it's my grandkids' kids are depending on you and I and everyone else here to do this work. Yeah, it reminds me of the company Seventh Generation Hell, where they said, you know, the Native Americans and the indigenous people, they had this concept of making decisions and thinking seven generations from today. And so that's a powerful, like you said, I mean, just in your conversation, just to think three generations be past ourselves right. is a massive improvement. When we're thinking about the stresses of every day where people are trying to make decisions on them, you know, what's going on this month, this week, that's very short-sighted. And you could be on a path, like uh, Cynthia said, the world is on fire and you can't, you don't even notice it because you're just thinking about the next five days. I mean, you just look out the window and see things burning, right? And where I live in California, how that literally happens. Like we look out the window, right. we smoke an entire entire city's disappearing yeah. in fires because we haven't maintained our forests in a certain way. And we have government fighting with government, government agencies fighting with other government agencies. You know, is this federal land? Is this state land? You know, where's the source of this fire? Instead of thinking like, no, this is land where people live. Let's figure it out. and cooperate to our mutual benefit to win-win to be affectionate with each other regardless of whose budget is it coming out of because if we don't do something people are going to die and that sounds crazy to be affectionate without without regard to whose budget i mean it's we're in a bubble we're in a bubble we, the bubble is the industrialized the age of industrialization right and with the cost accounting practices, with the, the mass production practices, it's unavoidable. And like, why wouldn't we think about, well, yeah, I'm gonna go spend time with that team. I, who am I charging it to? Like, this is going, we're gonna be such more, so much more powerful. But if you only get paid by the hours you bill and engineers principally, get paid that way, the firms get paid that way for the hours that they bill, how do they get motivated to get rid of the failure demand? How do they get motivated to find more innovative ways of delivering? It's just less hours that they're gonna build. And they certainly, if they're working for government agencies, they can't increase their rates because the multipliers are fixed. And you go begin looking at it, the system is perfectly designed to produce this broken result that we have yep. perfectly I've heard, designed i've heard people i've been on the the social app clubhouse where people can talk to each other and i've heard contractors say this i know how to make money and extract from this broken system i don't want it to change i've heard that more than on one occasion and uh i just look at those people and i just think yeah, but you could make so much more money if you don't extract and instead enhance. If you enhance the environment and go for win-win, you can actually make phenomenally more money. Like when Hal and I are talking about 
completing these projects just using some of these things like tact with subtle control, tact control. Well, we're, we're taking months off of a job. Guess what happens to your margin, your profits? It exponentially goes up. <laughs> and you don't have to like use heroics and suffer on the job to get it done. You don't have to sacrifice time with your families to get the job built. You can do it like a professional and you can plan and have a very reliable schedule. I've been with superintendents now that are using tact and scrum on their projects. And in an eight hours of walking with them and being with them, their cell phones ring one or two times. That's it. Yeah. That's not the usual experience of a, of an area superintendent, right? Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's what we're offering, you know, with this different type of thinking and the tools are available to you. They're in the, in the public domain now, like Hal's talking about things that have been in practice for 30 years. We just have to get, we're getting the word out there, people. We're getting the word out there so you can get access to the stuff. If you've never heard of it, well, you've heard of it now. So this is at least the second yeah. time you've heard us say tact. And this is the millionth time you heard me say scrum. So don't act like it's not available to you. These, these things are out there and you can learn about them for free. Now you've got to create, like when Hal said he goes to projects, I love that you said, Hal, there's two things you do when you go to a project that's in trouble. First thing you do is you stabilize, right? Is that what you said? That's right. I said, and, the, and in particular, focusing on making work ready. That's so right. That when, so that as early as we can, people are now starting work that they can finish. And they immediately see that that's different from what they've been doing. Because you see piles of inventory and go back spaces and all that stuff on most jobs that are in trouble. So you stabilize with by making work ready. And then the second thing is, you work on tech construction, period. Because right. you're working on, because that gets you into a whole systemic approach on improving right. flow, right. flow rates, uh, workflow, logistical flow, and trade flow. It's incredible to do those things. And I have the same approach when I go to jobs that are in trouble. The first thing I do is I want to improve the capacity for each person if we're, because most jobs that are in trouble, you have people operating near 100% capacity, which is unsustainable. Or they're over, they're over hundred percent Yeah, or over a hundred. Yeah. Right? So someone I was talking to recently, 27 days in a row of 12 hour days. Right. Well, how do you do? That means you're working every weekend, right? 27 right. days in a row. And the yeah. stories of uh, how many jobs are working weekends are too many to, to recount. Right. I remember going to a presentation and there was a project director was like bragging that they had a Saturday and Sunday rotation schedule. And I saw executives in, in this presentation, like nodding their heads, like, yep, that's how it's done. Like, no, that's not how it's done. That's a sign of failure. And then exactly. If I, it's you've designed in failure. And upon further investigation, that project had a punch list in the not thousands of items in the tens of thousands of items. And so there's a high cost of rework that's not tracked. And you mentioned accounting principles and the current accounting principles, how we look at things, the way that we track completeness and doneness, people just jump over the fact that go back work costs you money. The general contractor costs them to manage and coordinate people coming in and out of a now occupied building 
if it's a vertical construction. And then all the trade contractors, they're all charging and they've built that in to the contract. They've built it into their price, but it's eroding their margin because it's not finished. Well, and not only that, but their profit velocity, the rate at which they earn their profits goes, just goes to hell. Whereas you take a flow oriented approach using tack construction and, and conforming to the four production laws, you, your projects are shorter. So the time period that you're going to earn your project is seven months as opposed to 10 months. And your fixed costs are lower. You get all those porta potties you're not renting and the Wi-Fi that you're not paying for and all those fixed costs go away. So your profit goes up, the duration goes down and you easily see a 40, easily see a 40% increase in profit per month for the job. If you get longer time, you've got more, you've, if you go beyond your, your due date, a 12 month project versus 10, you get that extra 20% more fixed costs. You make it, that means you're making less money on a, on a, on a stipulated sum project over a longer period. The profit velocity is so small. It could be less than half of what you you were intending to make. And because you're longer, you've got more risk, more likelihood that people are going to get injured. If you've, if you've escalated, you got more people on the job. I mean, it's one of the worst times. Escalation on a project is the worst time for any project because you know you're going to have more injuries, period. Not just because you got more numbers, but because of the interaction of all these people who don't know each other, don't know the work, don't know the site. It's, it's just terrible. Hal, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can't believe how fast the time has scooted by us on this part two. Uh, you get the last words. Let's just start with this respect for people thing. We've got to break this, this wall of distrust that is keeping us from making the kinds of improvements. So get to know people, get to know people that are around you every day. And in a way that you are generous with the care that you're providing them, that you bring love to the situation that you're in. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.